Well, I want to welcome you back. If you were here with us last night, I want to welcome you back. If uh, you weren't with us last night, where were you? <laughs> well, uh, I do welcome you in the name of the Lord uh, for this Good Friday service. And a couple of things. Uh, you see these candles. As we go through the evening, uh, various people will extinguish a candle. So the room will become progressively darker along with the mood of the evening as we move through the narrative. At the end of the evening, we'll end in silence, and as you exit out that door, uh, there'll be a, uh, an offering basket available because uh, like last night, on this night, we uh, offer uh, money to the Benevolence Fund uh, on behalf of people who just don't have anything. And so if you'd like to contribute to that, that's the only offering that we would be taking this evening. So uh, really, those uh, are the only instructions other than to open your heart and your mind to the Lord. And as I lead us in prayer, uh, and as we hear music, as uh, we walk through the evening together, let your ongoing prayer be that God would uh, not just inspire you uh, or inform you, but that he would move you. That if there's something in your heart that is just weighing heavy on you, uh, you would see that his sacrifice on our behalf and on your behalf is meant to remove that, is meant to address that. So this is not just a reenactment of, of, of that last night in Jesus' life. This is our engagement, our involvement in what God is doing tonight in our life. So Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you even as we've come to remember what you did and why you did it. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us and among us through the music, through the spoken word, through words read, that you would conjure up in our hearts and minds those things that we need to pay attention to in us, that you want us to remember, to reconnect with, to realign with. Lord, I pray that this would not just be a heavy evening, but a deep evening. And so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, Good Friday answers two questions. The first question, how did Jesus die? And the second question, why did Jesus die? So here's a summary of how Jesus died. Jesus was betrayed by Judas to the Jewish authorities for 30 pieces of silver. He was arrested in the middle of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the Garden of the Olive Press. He was taken to the house of the Jewish high priest where he was interrogated, accused of blasphemy, and condemned to die by the Jewish authorities. Now, the Jews did not have authority to impose capital punishment, so Jesus was sent to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Palestine. It was a very difficult situation. Jerusalem was a tinderbox with so many different kinds of people coming into the city, and the Romans were very much on edge. They didn't want to lose control of Jerusalem, and they knew if this was not handled correctly, they could. So it turns out that Herod, the son of the one Herod who rebuilt the temple, who is the king of Galilee, where Jesus was from, was also in Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate and Herod were not friends. They were uh, unspoken Uh, antagonists though they had never met and so in some political maneuvering Pilate suggested that since Jesus was from Galilee he should probably be taken to Herod and of course Herod simply toyed with Jesus in terms of hey do something to impress me Do, do something special and spectacular And when Jesus wouldn't comply, he was sent back to Pontius Pilate. Luke tells us that after that time, Pontius Pilate and Herod became good, good friends. Pilate offered to free Jesus, but the crowd demanded Jesus' death. Even though Pilate said, this man has done nothing to deserve a capital punishment under Roman law. For all practical purposes, Pilate was saying he is innocent and I'm going to let him go. Then Pilate's wife warned him that she'd had a nightmare regarding Jesus and warned her husband that he should not be involved in judging Jesus. But Pilate feared the crowd. His professional career was on the line. And he wanted to avoid a riot that could cause the whole city to explode in conflict during Passover. He therefore offered the crowd to choose between Jesus and Barabbas, a criminal marked for crucifixion, thinking, of course, they would choose Jesus, but the crowd chose Barabbas. Jesus was condemned to be crucified that day in Barabbas' place. Having been scourged, long leather braided together with bone and metal, 
and, and dragged across a person's body until the body was ripped and bleeding. Having been scourged, Jesus was nailed to a cross between two thieves. He hung on the cross from noon to 3 p.m., speaking seven times. He was speared in the side, blood and fluid pouring out. After proclaiming, it is finished, he died. He was certified dead by the Romans, who were professional executioners. Having already broken the legs of the people on either side of him and, and certified them dead with the blood and the liquid pouring out of Jesus, they certified him dead as well. And then the Romans gave the body to Joseph of Arimathea for burial. So that's how Jesus died. John, the youngest of the disciples who was there, tells us in his gospel that later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his heart. So why did Jesus have to die? John gives us the answer in the first line of that scripture that I just read from his gospel. Knowing that everything had now been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said he's thirsty. They gave him some of this vinegar. And then he said this interesting thing, tetelestai, a Greek word, tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. It is fulfilled. Tetelestai is also a business term, meaning it is paid in full. But what was finished? We know Jesus was finished. But most importantly, Jesus knew he had finished what he had come to do. He had completed his mission. And so tetelestai signifies at least, at least three things. Tetelestai means Jesus fulfilled God's commitment to redeem his creation. Sometimes we forget that Jesus died for our sins and to redeem us. But, but God's plan is to redeem all creation. We don't go to heaven someday. We, we experience a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation in Christ. And so through his death, Jesus changed our future. A new creation is in the making. In Christ, God forgives and forgets our sin. In him, God's plan for creation advances. In him, we are now new creations in Christ. We're the first fruits, so to speak. Those first flowers, those first fruits that emerge that tell us more is coming, more is on the way. And because of that, we call him Savior and Lord. So tetelestai means, first of all, that Jesus fulfilled God's commitment to redeem his creation. Secondly, tetelestai declares Jesus' victory over Satan. And yet the mood that day among his disciples was not jubilant but dejected. They were not feeling victorious. They didn't see a victory in this. Their attitude was not, it is finished, but we are finished. 
They went into hiding. I imagine if you'd asked them to say something, they'd say, we lost him, and now we are forsaken. Uh, They felt that darkness of this fallen world crushing them down into despair. This is a despair that has no relief. You can't sleep this off. You can't exercise it out. You can't put it out of your mind. They were crushed, despairing in the worst possible way. And of course, at that point, Jesus had finished his mission, but had not yet risen. So they had no relief. But in the days ahead, they would see the power of Christ destroying Satan's strongholds. So secondly, Tetelestai declares Jesus' victory over Satan. And third, Tetelestai means that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. So it's not just finished, it's finally over. It's finished as in there's nothing left to be done. It's fulfilled. So think about this. Jesus' Bible was the Tanakh. Tanakh. It's It's a shorthand way of saying the Torah, the law, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings. And so to say that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets says he fulfilled the entire Bible. Everything that could be fulfilled, everything that was being done to comply with what God had told his people to do had now been done. Jesus fulfills and completes the sacrifices, the continuous Seven-day-a-week sacrifices offered in the temple. Done. We're told that the temple curtain was ripped from the bottom to the top, opening up the Holy of Holies. In his person, in his very being, he achieves what we could never do to make things right with God. Paul tells us, just as in Adam, it all went south. In Jesus, it's all made new. The new Adam. So by faith, we are reconciled to God and to one another through Jesus' atonement. We hear that word atonement, we're used to hearing it, but it's, it's a fairly recent word. It's a 16th century word. And literally, it means what it says, at one meant. It's a made-up word because they were trying to find a word that could carry the theological truth of what Jesus did on the cross. How do you possibly summarize and explain it? Volumes have been written. And so finally they came up with one word. It's at one mint. At one mint. Where there was disunity, there's now unity between God and man. Where we were once disconnected from God, we are now connected to him in Christ by faith. We are united with God in Christ rather than separated from God by sin. So Paul says it this way in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. He says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. And it was all created through the son. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. 
And he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. That's the word of God. So, sin and death no longer define us or describe us. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is fulfilled. It is paid in full. So we're almost to Easter, but not quite. It's Friday, and it's very, very dark. It's still Friday for them, and, and Satan is winning. It's Friday, and the disciples have lost heart. It's Friday, and nothing is right in the world. But we know it's only Friday. And as a great black preacher from West Philadelphia about 30 years ago said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So let's continue reflecting on this amazing thing that God has done on our behalf, on behalf of all creation in Christ. Perpetual time Kneel down on the shore Be thirsty no more Go under and be purified Follow Christ to the holy mountain Sinners sorry and wrecked by the fall Cleanse your heart and your soul In the fountain that
and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, who asked him, You have said it, said Jesus, but when the leading priests and the elders made the accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Pilate demanded. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our, his own sins. And treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? 
He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus, Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him.
much shame to love me. criminals were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Amarathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience of the commandment.